3: Welcome back. Tom Harvin here with you. I want to talk about brazenness and Donald Trump. And uh, there is this quality of leadership that you find among some of our most successful presidents. And it's called brazenness. Brazenness is the willingness or ability, because it's kind of back of the envelope description, but basically a strong belief in one's own In fact, a high level of certainty in one's own correctness that what one is doing is the right thing and a willingness to stick with it to the bitter end, regardless of the consequences. This is how Winston Churchill helped win World War II. This is how Franklin Roosevelt pushed through the New Deal over overwhelming opposition from Republicans who called it communism and socialism. This is how Abraham Lincoln fought the Civil War. And you know, there's still a debate about that. He decided, you know, he initially thought that that war was going to last four or five months, and or maybe even a few weeks, that it wouldn't be that big a deal to put down the South, and uh, turned into a multi-year, you know, 700,000 Americans dead uh, disaster. Or was it not a disaster? Did it hold the Union together? I mean, there's, but the bottom line is that he was willing to do it at great cost that just tore him apart, Lincoln. This is what John Kennedy had when he confronted the soviets around the cuban missile crisis this brazenness is a quality of leadership now it can be leadership for good or leadership for bad adolf hitler was also brazen as was mussolini this is a very powerful characteristic that can cut either way, and it turns out that Donald Trump, when they're doing these psychological analyses of various presidents, Donald Trump is right up there with some of our best presidents in terms of brazenness. The problem is, and this is a real problem, that those other presidents had a complete toolkit of skills that Trump lacks. They also had morality, Trump lacks morality. They also had intelligence. Trump lacks intelligence. They had curiosity. Trump lacks curiosity. They had introspection, the ability to look at themselves and with even a critical eye. Trump is completely incapable of introspection. They had empathy. They understood the plight of other people. In fact, Abraham Lincoln's empathy for the victims of the Civil War tore him apart Same with FDR during World War II. And they had foresight, the ability to predict the future result that was the consequence of a current behavior. So here, in my opinion, we have the worst possible combination of personality characteristics right now in the White House. You have somebody who's functionally a sociopath, he lacks empathy, who is only of moderate intelligence, Perhaps less than that, but is very sly, is very cunning. These are the classic characteristics of a mid level con man. If Trump hadn't been born rich, I am convinced that he would be a recidivist con man. He'd be the guy who's been to jail 15, 20 times at this point in his life, you know, for securities fraud or for ripping off people. He'd be the guy who's running the phone operation where they're calling up people, telling them that they need their credit card, you know, whatever. He is a hustler. But when you combine brazenness with that, which has been a characteristic just very on display throughout his entire life and his business career and everything else, again, you know, it got him to the top and then his lack of morality, intelligence, curiosity, introspection, empathy, and foresight, his lack of the other typical characteristics that make us a human being took him down. And it's going to take him down again. And the tragedy is That he's taking our country with him. This is the full-blown tragedy. Our national parks are falling apart right now. Yucca Mountain National Park has been so badly damaged, it may take a year or two to open it back up. You know, there's no rangers. You've had several people die in our national parks. In one case, we didn't even know it for a week because there were no rangers there to find the dead body. And that's just, you know, the, the tiny tip of the iceberg. You've got lobbyists who are now running the EPA. You've got a lobbyist now running the Interior Department. You've got piss-poor, pathetic third-string lawyers Matt Whitaker and now this other guy that they've uh, appointed to be Attorney General, running the Justice Department. You've got, you know Betsy DeVos, a lifelong opponent of public education, running the education department. You've got Wilbur Ross, another hustler, another scam artist, a guy who is running a bank in Cyprus who owned half of a bank in Cyprus that appears to be one of the major transshipment points for a lot of the corrupt money that Trump might have been laundering, that might have been coming from Russian and other oligarchs, including this thing that was revealed in the Manafort stuff. That you know, It looks like Manafort was actually feeding poll numbers back to somebody who could pass it along to the Internet Research Bureau, which was coordinating the Facebook attacks on Hillary Clinton during the campaign in 2016. I mean, if that was the case, that's like really high level evidence that there was an actual campaign being run by a foreign government or people within a foreign country anyway, or both, to win an American election. You know, double, triple down on, you know, Donald Trump is an absolutely illegitimate president. He became president by virtue of fraud and foreign intervention. I mean, as this is slowly starting to sink into the American people, they're having this, oh my God, moment And increasingly, Americans are realizing that Donald Trump does not have those basic human qualities of foresight, of empathy, of curiosity, of introspection, of intelligence, and of morality. That multidimensional stuff that makes us functioning humans and functioning members of society. He doesn't have it, but he does have that brazenness the ability to stand up there and say, I alone can fix it. Now, when that brazenness has been tempered by these other characteristics of morality, intelligence, curiosity, introspection, empathy, and foresight, then you have a genuine leader. Then you have John Kennedy, you have Lyndon Johnson, you have, I would say, Dwight Eisenhower, certainly FDR, but brazenness all by itself in the hands of a sociopath and in the hands of a person lacking morality, Lacking intelligence, lacking the ability to engage in introspection, lacking the ability to feel what others are feeling, lacking empathy, lacking the ability to understand and predict the future consequences of his current behavior, foresight, and that's super on display with his business career. Look at how many people came to Donald Trump and said, hey, let's put your name on some stakes. Here's the projected cash flow for the next three years. This is going to add a million bucks a week to your bottom line. And Trump is like, cool, sign me up and it goes up but it goes down, it crashes. Trump University, Trump Airline, Trump Wine. Trump, I mean, you just go through the list. I think mean, Trump Wine might still be around, but most of these businesses that he started failed. Why? Well, there's an old saying, it's easier to sell things to salesmen than anybody else or salespeople. It kind of contrasts with the, you know, you can't con a con, yes, you can. Con men are easy, they're suckers. Salespeople are suckers for a good sales pitch. And in the case of Donald Trump, amplify that times 100 because he lacks foresight. He lacks the ability to say, well, okay, if we start this university and we do it basically as a scam, as a grift, you know, how long is it going to be before we get caught? Or what will the consequences be? You know, he doesn't game things out. And to have somebody who doesn't have that ability in the White House, Is a threat to our nation. It's a threat to national security. It's a threat to our future for whatever reason. I don't want to try to psychoanalyze him here, but I mean, this is just obvious on its face. And the principal weapon that he has wielded, the principal tool that he has used since he became, since he first jumped into the race which, by the way, wasn't actually jumping into the race. It was, it was a PR stunt to get GE to pay him through NBC to pay him as much as they were paying Gwen Stefani. Go check out Michael Moore's uh, documentary, 11, nine, Fahrenheit 11.9. I'm pretty sure it's now available for free on uh, Netflix or Amazon or something. Somebody called the other day and said that they were watching it there. So check it out. I mean, it's, he opens the movie with it. They expected to do the thing in Trump Tower and do two rallies, and that was going to be the end of it. And then he was going to say, OK, I'm, you know, I'm out of here. And instead, he got hooked on the on the love of the adoration when when he laid out his whole racist thing about, you know, Mexicans are rapists and murderers. And then all the white racists came out and said, hey, you're our guy. We haven't heard like, you know, talk like this since George Wallace died. And or since George Wallace got shot, I guess that was the, the point at which uh, Wallace kind of backed away from many of his positions. But this is, this is bizarre. And then you take that racism and put it on steroids. Donald Trump today, well, let, me, let me back up just a little bit. California is and has been since 2006. So for 12 years now, 13 years, California has been a majority minority state. White people are less than 50% of the population of California. So, and, and California has turned into a very blue state. Democrats basically run the whole state. In fact, Republicans lost, what, eight or nine seats in the last House elections there? So, you know, there's all, all this stuff going on in California that... Donald Trump doesn't really like, I mean, the, the, the state, if you want to build a new house in California under these new state codes and Gavin Newsom, you know, pushing the new governor, pushing this stuff forward, you have to have solar panels on your roof. Elon Musk just rolled out a Tesla solar panels. I mean, they've got this new company that's making, you know, roofs for people. And a certain percentage of it is solar and a certain percentage of it just keeps the, you know, the fire off or the, the rain off or whatever so trump really doesn't like california california is defying the fossil fuel oligarchs who are funding the republican party and donald trump california is showing us that it is possible for people of different races and religions and people from different cultural backgrounds to not only live together but prosper together california is showing us that without partisan gerrymandering using Using you know well drawn districts, you can have actually a, a functioning democracy, small d democracy. Donald Trump just can't deal with this. You'll recall back a few months ago when he was in in Europe, he met he, he was at one of these, or maybe it was in in Argentina, it, wherever it was. He was he was at one of these meetings of international leaders, and the. Uh, President or prime minister of Denmark, as I recall, maybe it was Finland, made a comment to him that Donald Trump interpreted. He had said, "You have a lot of forests, or words to that effect." And and this leader said to him in response, "Yeah, you know, we manage our forests really well." And and what that means, I mean, I you know, Louise and I used to own four hundred acres in Vermont, and and we had you know a guy with a horse, actually two horses. Who manage the forest. You would you know, you you go in and you take out the trees that are dying, you you uh, open up spaces where you've got slow growing deciduous trees, you know, oaks and, and beech and things like that. You take out the the, the faster growing pines around them so that they can get more light, so they can prosper. I mean, there's a there's a process that you engage in to, to maintain a forest. And if you do that in Vermont, you get a twenty-five percent reduction in your property taxes. So forest management is important stuff. And by the way, most of the forests in California are federal land. And the federal government does practice some forest management. But somehow Trump got the idea that what forest management means is you rake the leaves. No, seriously, I'm not making this up. This is another one of the problems. You know, when I said he's got brazenness, which is, you know, a characteristic you find in, you know, great leaders, but he's lacking foresight empathy introspection morality curiosity but most importantly intelligence this guy does not have the intellect of an average 7th grader so he thought that the that the the prime minister or president of the Scandinavian country was telling him oh you don't want to have forest fires rake the leaves now california just suffered through some of the worst wildfires in not just california history but in the history of the united states over 80 people dying in just one town An entire town, uh, Paradise, California, just burned to the ground. They are not just still suffering from this and and not just, just starting to put themselves back together, but they need to be planning for more of this because this is being caused by global climate change. Another thing that Donald Trump denies happens because he wants to keep the money flowing from the billionaire oligarchs, the petrobillionaire oligarchs. So he tweets that he's going to cut off the FEMA money, to California if they don't start raking their damn leaves. Really? He says, unless they get their act together, which is unlikely, I have ordered FEMA to send no more money. It is a disgraceful situation in lives and money. This is bizarre. Here's the exact tweet billions of dollars are sent to the state of california for forest fires that with proper forest management would never happen unless they get their act together which is unlikely i've ordered fema to send no more money it's a disgraceful situation in lives and money well first of all those are federal forest lands in most cases that we're burning that's your property donald trump you should be having a conversation with your new director of the uh, department of interior which manages those federal forest lands Oh, that's right. The guy's a lobbyist for the oil and gas industry. He doesn't know anything about forests and he doesn't care anything about forests. He's just wondering if there's oil or gas under those forests so that he can privatize them. Gavin Newsom, who had just sworn in as governor in California, says, we've been put in office by the voters to get things done, not to play games with lives. Is as disasters and recovery are no time for politics. I'm taking, I'm already taking action to modernize and manage our forests and emergency re- responses. The people of California, folks in paradise, should not be victims to partisan bickering. One of the real existential threats we're facing right now is global climate change. It's a piece over on uh, arctic-news.blogspot.com right now, suggesting that we might be two years away from the beginning of a major, I mean, a major extinction event. If the Arctic goes ice-free, this is kind of like a Y2K moment. You know, we had no idea what was going to happen when the clocks turned to the year 2000 because Windows operating system worked on two digits rather than four digits for the year. And so because of this you know, cost-cutting thing apparently at Microsoft, everybody was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Well, it turned out nothing really happened. But similarly, we don't know what's going to happen when the Arctic goes ice-free. Is it going to cause wild weather patterns all around the world? Massive cyclones and hurricanes just continuously raking the landscape? We honestly don't know. And scientists are starting to freak out. This is real stuff. But Donald Trump is paying no attention to that because the entire Republican Party is taking money from fossil fuel billionaires. And they know that the only way they can continue to survive is with think tanks funded by fossil fuel billionaires, networks and uh, websites and media funded by fossil fuel billionaires. And so they've got to suck up to the fossil fuel billionaires who are trying to get every single last dollar they can out of the oil supplies on Earth before it runs out or before we all die. I mean, before it just all crashes. We have a crisis. So my question for you, how do we best deal with this? I think we need to start out by actually pointing it out that the real crisis right now is not on our border, it's in 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, as a number of Democratic politicians have been saying. But I think we need to understand it in this much larger frame. we're talking about the possible extinction of the human race we're talking about the survival of a democracy in the united states we're talking about the survival of democracy around the world we're talking about the possibility of nuclear war if a mistake is made a nuclear war could destroy the human race this is serious stuff you're listening to tom hartman Hey, you know, you're going to start hearing non-stop weight loss commercials everywhere, and every time you do, I want you to think about Riduzone. It's the only weight loss product I endorse, and the one that worked for my wife. Louise wanted to lose a little weight last summer. She read about university research and how one molecule helps regulate appetite. Riduzone is designed to boost levels of that one molecule, and your metabolism too, so you stop craving the wrong foods like too many holiday sweets, and you burn calories faster. With her appetite and cravings under control, she said losing weight was easy. She has more energy on her hikes, and she looks amazing. Listen, when diet and exercise aren't enough, get the only weight loss product I endorse, non-prescription, FDA-accepted Riduzone. While supplies last, use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and receive 30% off a pack of three bottles plus free shipping. Go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E dot com. Riduzone.com. Use the promo code TOM. Rid Hey, we have a whole bunch of special content just for our Patreon supporters over at Patreon.com/slash Tom Hartman T H uh, O M Hartman with two n's It includes uh, you know, the entire three hours of our program every day. The whole the the entire program is available there that you can watch, and also we regularly put up new rants. The one I just did is about the Supreme Court. It's based in part on my book on equal protection and based in part on a book I'm writing, I'm working on right now in the Supreme Court, and in part just, you know, what what I know and you need to know about how the Supreme Court got as badly corrupted as it is, how did we get here, right? I mean, how did we end up with with a bunch of crazy right-wingers on the court? And what can we do about it? There actually are ways that we can address this problem of the corruption of the Supreme Court. So check it out, patreon.com slash Tom Hartman. Paulette in New York City. Hey, Paulette, what's up?
4: Hi, good afternoon, Tom. I, when you said that leaders are brazen, the brazenness of leaders, yeah. what I found about, for me, the word that I found to describe Donald Trump that I could come to grips with, he's indifferent.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
4: And I think that's because
3: he lacks empathy. He lacks understanding. Paulette, well said. Thank you very much. I mean, back years ago, Louise and I took a seminar from Robert McKee uh, called Story. He's got a book by the same name. He's a a guy who teaches actors, screenwriters, uh, novelists, how to create stories. And one of the things that McGee pointed out in this seminar was that the opposite of love is not hate. Now think about that for a minute. The opposite of love is not hate. So what is the opposite of love? It's indifference. That's even more brutal. Hate actually sticks you to another person, just like love does. Indifference? No. So if Trump is, as Paulette said, indifferent, if that's really his principal characteristic, then we don't exist to him. Now, think about the consequences of that for a minute. Think about what that means. I mean, we know right now 800,000 civil service employees apparently don't matter to him, don't mean anything to him. But he let the media into his signing ceremony or whatever it was in the White House. And, he, you know, he lied, as, as he always does, and said, well, you know, the, the majority of government employees support what I'm doing. Well, A, there's no way to know that that's true or not but odds are the majority of government employees don't think that it's a good idea that they not get a paycheck so that Trump can use that to bludgeon Congress to get his damn wall so that he can say to his base that he, he, yep, I kept my campaign promise. This is, we know, a very high value of Donald Trump's to say anyway or be able to appear to have kept his campaign promise. Last night he said that Mexico is going to pay through for the wall through the new and improved NAFTA, which has not even, you know, passed Congress yet. But that lack of empathy that Paulette correctly pointed out, I mean, that, that's a mind-boggling point. It's even more destructive than hatred. Now, he certainly has, obviously, a lot of hatred, mostly against people whose skin is darker than than his. He has a lot of hatred. I mean, you know, go back to the Central Park Five, go back to the, to the comments he's made over the years repeatedly about the intellect of, of African Americans, about the, the morality of Mexicans, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, you know, this guy harbors racist sentiments, you know, right up there with, you know, Bull Connor. But when you add to that this brazenness and this lack of empathy that leads to this virtually sociopathic indifference. And Paulette so nailed it with that word. That is the danger to the republic, in my opinion. That That is, you know, it's it's Trump's personality disorders that represent the greatest threat to our country right at this moment, and to the world, frankly. Fred in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Fred, thanks for listening to KBCS. What's on your mind today?
5: Uh, you talked earlier about the evangelicals of whites in America and how they seem to be following Trump's whistle, right? I, and, and how I actually the big that. point
3: that I wanted to make is that the, the, the white evangelical movement in the United States went from being a small fringe movement to a large major movement purely on the back, yes, uh, purely on the back of offering white-only segregated Christian academies in the in the decade following Brown versus Board of Education in 1954.
5: Yes, I was living in Georgia and Alabama, Mississippi during the 70s. I was part of that. I participated in an evangelical uprising when Jeremiah Denton got elected to, to Congress. We put him in office, we being the evangelical church. They started to build that up during the 80s and into the 90s, and now look where they're at. Now, these are people who have tax-exempt status. They use their congregates to to, to support the other congregates donating their time and effort to the church the church gets the tax exempt and they just keep feeding themselves yes. they become a rich little enclave if you will and all those evangelical churches are talking to one another because i was part of that when i was living in alabama and i'm just saying that if his base is, is mostly the evangelicals then these people aren't going to stop until we do have armageddon because they're already pushing the uh, women's right issues they want um um uh, abortion issues off the table they want to dissolve that whole issue with Planned parenthood and they feel that they're going to get god's blessing on this country if they get rid of that that's just one aspect of it
3: yeah you raise a really important i'm sorry go
5: ahead i really hope that there are other people listening and understand what is trump's um what is his motive what is the purpose of him being president? I think it's,
3: you know, he ran for president, Fred, because he wanted to get a pay raise from NBC, and he thought he could intimidate them into it by threatening to go off and run for president. It didn't work. NBC didn't offer him the same amount of money as they were offering Gwen Stefani. And even though they were paid actors at his, you know, $50 an hour paid actors at Trump Tower and during his first two rallies, during the two rallies, enough people who were not actors showed up, just good old yahoos, the white guys with Ball caps on. That uh, it, you know. Suddenly, he thought, "Wow, you know, we could do something with this." And and he, it was all a plan to expand his brand. This was all about making money. In fact, he came around and said it. He said, "I'll probably be the first guy to run for president and make money doing so." It, It was all about greed. Basically, and he was peddling racism in order to to accomplish his greedy motives, just as he had been for the previous eight years when he was claiming that Obama was born in Kenya. He has used race and racism, you know, to successfully to make more profit for himself. That's what I think is going on. The
5: man is. That shows you how shallow the man is. He doesn't belong in the highest position in this country. There's no, like you say, he he is amoral. Yeah. He's all about himself, and he's a bully. Yep, amen. And I, I hope and pray that more Americans will stand up against this, because this is a frog in a cold pot of water if we don't do something. Yeah, and the pot of water is passing 100 degrees right now. Fred,
3: thanks, thanks a lot for the call. Tom am here with you rudy in riverdale georgia hey rudy what's on your mind
6: today we have to understand that this country was founded on racism it's in the dna of this country i try to call often tom and and try to just try to speak a little sense this is not helping this country from a social standpoint socially donald trump i feel i'm just saying i and I'm, i'm quite sure other people may feel the same way but I really feel like this guy is really hurting white America from a social standpoint. Yes. And, and by white America not understanding, race, you know, not seeing the racism in themselves, everything that you do is built on relationships. Everything. Everything, you know, from, from business to everything. So let's just take it from an economic standpoint. People will start thinking different about dealing with white people. I mean, it's just a natural thing. Mm-hmm. And and only thing I'm saying, Tom, is white America have to understand that people are not just gonna people of other groups are not just gonna stand by and just allow this to happen over time. People yeah. don't forget this. This is, this is a social issue here's
3: here's what i think is the good news rudy and i'd love to get your take on on this it seems to me and I, you know i might be totally wrong on this but it seems to me that during the candidacy, or during the presidency of Barack Obama, you had a, a relatively small number of white people basically rising up and making all kinds of racist remarks and things. I encountered this myself on a, on a number of occasions. In fact, the book I've got about uh, guns that's coming out in June opens with a story uh, in a gun shop in in Mason, Michigan, where the guy was yelling about our N-word president. And, and uh, you know, but it's they started to become a little more visible. But they weren't really given a platform. And then came Trump as president. And he gave those folks a platform and elevated them. And uh, But what has happened, I think, in the last year and a half anyway, is that a lot of the white people who initially supported Trump because they thought that he was going to bring jobs home, they liked his trade policies, they believed that he was going to raise taxes on rich people because he said he would, he said it was going to cost him a fortune, um, You know that there were some policy things that he campaigned on that people wanted, that they they thought were reasonable things. He said he was going to replace Obamacare with something that was cheaper and covers absolutely everybody and covers all pre-existing conditions. I mean, he basically just lied through his teeth and all these things. But those people who voted for him because they thought that he was actually the outsider who was going to shake things up, he was going to get rid of the lobbyists in D.C. and all this kind of stuff, they have figured out, A, that Trump lied to them on all those things, and B, that a lot of the people who are following Trump are these screaming racists. And I think that we're seeing an exit out of the Republican Party as a result of that. And I think that when, at the end of the day, at the end of the Trump presidency, we're going to look back and say, you know, okay, a lot of white racism in the United States that had been hidden and not discussed is now out right. in the open, and we're actually doing something about it. These people are being socially ostracized. When they make racist comments in supermarkets, somebody videotapes them and it goes viral and they get humiliated and they lose their jobs. There is a change happening in the white community that I think yeah. is a really good and healthy thing, Rudy. What do you think?
6: Well, yeah, and there are always gonna be collateral damage, and that's what it's gonna be. See? This is what needs to happen in this country. There are white people that are on the fence. You know, they can, I like black people, but I like Latinos, but I like Muslims, but, you know, we are humans. You have to understand that we are human. And, 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 And until you get the butt out of it and just take it for what it is, that we're human, then that's when we can start to grow as a human race. Yeah and that's around the world, so all I'm saying as a black man in this country, white people as a whole need to understand that they were conditioned to be this way and sometimes it's not their fault, but just to recognize it and to start making a conscious effort to to watch and and measure what they say because these are relationships that that was built And, 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 and when relationships are built, and as we go through these, as we going through this situation with Trump, people see things different. People are like, wow, I didn't know my, my could, could my neighbor be thinking this way? Or yep. you, you see it?
3: That's saying? my point. Yeah, that's my point. Is that, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of white people who are not fundamentally racist, although I think all of us, uh, you know, grew up with those, those stereotypes on television and in the movies and things. It's, it's hard not to be contaminated by that. But I think a lot of white people are going, whoa, you know, this is living next yeah. door to me.
6: And this is what I'm saying. Just just we just we, we just have to start we have to be more conscious about where we are in this particular time because this is just
2: where we are in time.
3: Yeah. Rudy I gotta run but thank you Uh, very very well said and you know stuff that we all need to be talking about and thinking about you know how do we how do we bridge this I I think frankly I think that an awakening process is happening in the United States in reaction to Donald Trump because he 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 lifted the covers and let us see what was underneath all this stuff that's been you know just percolating there for years. Here's a New Year's resolution that's easy to keep. Make 2019 your most comfortable and productive year ever by getting yourself an X chair. I used to constantly feel uncomfortable throughout the workday until I realized I was spending thousands of hours sitting in the wrong chair. So, follow my example and ditch that no name superstore chair and trade up to the X chair. I've been raving about how much I love my X chair for, geez, years. Well, if you're on the fence about buying one, here's great news. Now you can finance the purchase of your X chair for as little as $30 a month. When you sit in it, you'll understand why I love my X chair so much. X chair is on sale now for $100 off. Just go to X chair tom, that's T H O. XChairTom.com now. That's XChairTom.com, T H O M. Or call 1 844 4XChair. XChair comes with a 30 day, no questions asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. Go to XChairTom.com now and use the code TOM, T H O M, to get a free foot rest. XChairTom.com. Welcome back. Greg in Mountain Home, Arkansas. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind today?
5: Hey, Tom, Um, I read a story just the other day uh, from the New York Times that put it out originally. I think it was last week and Newsweek picked it up and they said the whole wall deal with Trump is they had to come up with a memory trick to get him to remember to talk about immigration. Right. So, said, so he, he
3: wouldn't wander off into discussions about, you know, his, how cute his daughter was and weird
5: stuff like that. Right. Exactly. Because he wouldn't read things that they printed for him. And he went off on his own tangents. And this wall thing was all just a trick to get him to talk about immigration. Yeah. So the whole wall thing is baloney. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I mean, nobody is talking about that. It was in The New York Times and Newsweek picked it up and i did you read that i didn't i did
3: yeah it was bs from the get-go and and in fact that's been known for geez, two years now. I mean, that was first reported oh, so really? years ago. Yeah, that, the, uh, you know, the, the, in fact, it was Cambridge Analytica that came up with build the wall and lock her up, those two slogans. And Trump was very skeptical that either one of them would actually be something that people would be enthusiastic about. And, uh, you know, <laughs> boy, was he wrong. Um, and, and he discovered that the first time he rolled these things out at a rally and people just, you know, bought into it. And, and Cambridge Analytica was right. Greg, I gotta move along, but thank you for the call. John in Minneapolis. Hey, John, what's
1: up? Yeah, um, I just wanted to add to the conversation. I'm so grateful that you're part of this transformation of the media. And the issue is very deep, but in a way, not so much. You have to run for office in order to bring these subjects to everybody's attention when that's what people want.
3: Well, and even then they get ignored. Look at the
1: first year of Bernie's primary campaign. Yep. Yep. And, you know, now these uh, women are being attacked when everything that I've heard so far that they've talked about, the progressives, it's just sensible stuff that needs to be done. You know, our biggest existential threat is the Green New Deal. Already they're bringing up voter suppression. You know, these kinds of things should have been brought up. And I can tell you, it's going to be fought tooth and nail by the established media, including NPR. And last I heard an example of it where somebody referred to the progressives as being factious. And you have taught me that factions are people in the minority who are trying to dictate to the majority, the democracy, the rest of us, particular issues. and then you know, say, well, Nancy Pelosi is trying to rein them in. I just thought that is so editorialized. It's just not funny. But people yeah. who listen to NPR, and I'm not saying that there isn't good information on there, they need to really listen carefully to the language.
3: Yeah. And that's all I wanted to say. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, John. And what is so unfortunate is so much context is missing. You know, it's like this Ocasio-Cortez comment about 70% top tax rate at $10 million. Nobody pointed out, I'm not sure she knew, but, you know, a reporter should have known that the top tax rate when Ronald Reagan came into office was 74% and it kicked in. At a little over two hundred thousand dollars, what in today's money would be a little over six hundred thousand dollars. He didn't right. have to go to ten million for that, and yep. and it generated huge amounts of revenue. And it was the reason why CEOs only took thirty times what their employees did, not yep. five hundred times like today. It was a it was a regulating system. It was a, a functionally a a cap on wages. John, thank you for the call. None of that got discussed because that's not an issue that the media really wants to talk about. Rich people. No, we don't want to talk about that. Tom in Martinsburg, West Virginia. Hey, Tom, what's up?
0: I just want to make a comment on recapturing the media. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be able to do anything unless people vote, okay? Yeah. We need to get the Senate, and we need to get more seats in the House.
3: And yeah, the and state. not to mention state houses and senates and assemblies yeah. all over the country. Then after that, if we can do that,
0: then the president needs to pack the court. Because with the Supreme Court, everything that we pass, I guarantee is going to be knocked down as unconstitutional. Yeah.
3: Well, John Roberts looks like he is trying to moderate his position on things now that he's got five hardcore right wingers on the court, including himself. And my concern is that if Ruth Bader Ginsburg is sidelined and Donald Trump appoints a sixth right winger to the court, that even John Roberts won't be able to moderate their crazy. We need to
0: pack it. We need a majority on that court because that's their weapon against us. Mitch McConnell knew that when he held that seat open for a year. He knew that even if we recapture the Senate and the House and the Presidency, if they have the majority on the Supreme Court, they can fight
3: everything we do. Yep, you're absolutely right. And by the way, they've known that for a long, long time. In fact, they've stolen more than one presidential election in the hopes of packing the court. Tom, thanks a lot for the call. Great to hear from you. And thanks for watching us there in West Virginia. Welcome back. Let's check in with Talk Media News and find out what's going on in the world today. This report brought to you by com and Loving What You Do. Ellen Ratner's new book, com is the website. And on the line with us is Ellen Ratner herself. Hey, Ellen, what's up?
4: Well, hi. First of all, Todd Miller wrote a book called Storming the Wall in which he says, Listen, Trump is bad. There's no question about it. But uh, uh, oh, Clinton, uh, uh, Bush, and Obama have also been bad about uh, trying to get immigration enforcement, uh, and under them, basically, and under under Trump, uh, immigration enforcement has gone from 1.5 billion dollars in '94 to 23 billion dollars. Yeah, this and, is mind-boggling. Uh, that they they forcibly 2.5 million people were forcibly expelled. Uh, during the, uh, just under the Obama administration.
3: Yeah. Helen, have you ever had uh, to get a uh, work permit anywhere else in the world when you're traveling?
4: And no, I haven't. But I know it's not easy.
3: Yeah, I've done it twice. I've done it in Australia and I've done it in Germany. And uh, it's a major project. And, you know, when Reagan stopped enforcing the law that said that if wealthy white employers hire people who are not citizens, the white employers go to jail, Reagan stopped enforcing that in 86. And no president has started enforcing it. And, you know, Reagan did it because he wanted to break up the unions in the construction industry and the meatpacking industry, which he did. I mean, it worked. And And he certainly did do it. (laughs) Yeah. But instead, I mean, even Democratic presidents have said instead of cutting off basically the oxygen for immigration, which is not even an issue for the last eight years. Uh, More people are leaving the country than coming in terms of immigrants. Now we've got a crisis with refugees, which is a completely separate thing. But, But on to the immigration issue, if, if instead of cutting off the oxygen by saying white employers are going to start going to jail, they're using this brute force method of we're going to go after the immigrants themselves. And that's expensive and it doesn't work. And I don't it's know when the Democratic Party is going to wake up to this and figure it out. We talked about this with Ro Khanna a couple weeks ago. And he's like, yeah, this is, this is the real issue.
4: Well, that's interesting. By the way, Jose Andreas, who's a very famous chef, and who, of course, fed the people in Puerto Rico after the hurricane there, said he wants Trump to visit the shelters at the border and says that there's no mar- national emergency.
3: Yeah, amen. And Jose and his restaurants in D.C. are just wonderful, some of my favorite places to eat. Anyhow, what else is oh, going on in the amazing. world, Ellen?
4: Okay, well, uh, the Democrats are trying to roll back part of the president's tax law. But no Democratic lawmakers voted for it. However, the question is, they know they can't do it while the Senate is still run by the Republicans. But they're hoping that in 2020, the the Senate will turn over to the Democrats or the White House will. And then they can lay the foundation for that. Also, um, the uh, Daily Beast reports today that the Russian lawyer from the Trump Tower meeting uh, was actually she was indicted uh, for money laundering, but having nothing to do with the supposed Trump case. She was indicted on something else. And so that is a very interesting... Well, the one thing we
3: don't know, Ellen, is if that does have to do with Trump, because at the very end of that indictment was this comment or statement or whatever that she was helping this company, this Russian company, which had had stolen, what, 230 million dollars, right. as I recall. Right. A lot of money. Right. <laughs> they stole it, basically stole it from themselves. And the, and, the, and the CEO of the company then basically wanted to launder that money into the United States so he would have access to it. And he did it by, quote, purchasing high-end Manhattan real estate, end quote. Now, who would you buy that from?
4: Well that's a very good question and actually as you know I own a, uh, an apartment in New York City and it's very interesting the Russians are always trying to buy stuff.
3: Wow. Yeah. Well so, this is you know and apparently this is this is so if the money laundering that is is charged in this thing if they were using it to buy Trump properties and Trump had any knowledge that he was on the receiving end of money laundered dollars that could be a big liability for him.
4: Oh that could be a very that could be impeachable for sure.
3: Yeah so what else uh,
4: okay is now it's interesting amendment number four which was voted on uh... in in florida uh... uh in november basically allows uh, former felons to vote it's making over a million people eligible to vote now people who have been convicted of sex crimes or murder are still not eligible to vote but the question is whether it will make florida blue or not uh... i tend to think it will because so many republicans voted against it hmm. and I, I, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, this is a voter okay. suppression
3: law that goes back to, to Reconstruction to Jim Crow.
4: Oh, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, in Ohio, felons can vote. I know that because Bob Nay can vote. Mm. But uh, in Florida, they couldn't vote until recent. You know, until this week. Right. Okay. Now, President uh, Trump, as you know, made his Oval Office speech yesterday and meet the press moderator Chuck Todd told Lester Holt what was intriguing to me is how much it lacked any new information. And the fact is, he said he called it a formalized version of the stump speech.
3: Yeah, that's all it was. And in fact, that's what I tweeted yesterday. He just gave the same speech he gave when he came down the elevator in Trump Towers. He kicked off well, his 2020 campaign, and the networks exactly. paid for it.
4: That's exactly. And then, uh, during Cuomo primetime, uh, a, uh, Democratic Congressman Luis uh, Gutierrez uh, said that Trump was distracting and he said he just wants to talk about the wall because the news is tightening in the Mueller investigation. And I think that's very interesting. Of course, Rod Rosenstein is resigning when the new head gets, uh, Uh, whatever.
3: uh, uh, Mr. Barr is coming in and he's going to run the show. Yeah. Right. Interesting stuff. Ellen Ratner with Talk Media News. Thank you, Ellen.
4: Thank you.
3: This report brought to you by goatsfortheoldgoat.com and Ellen's new book, Loving What You Do. Talkmedianews.com is the website. If your New Year's resolutions include taking better care of yourself and being smarter with your finances, Harry's has you covered. Plus, you'll get a great shave in the bargain. Esquire Magazine was so impressed, they awarded Harry's their 2018 Grooming Award. Harry's smooth, comfortable glide and close shave will have you hooked in no time. I won't shave with anything but Harry's. Harry's wants to help you start the new year off right. New customers get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and travel cover for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just use Tom, T-H-O-M, at Harry's com harry's replacement cartridges are just two dollars each and if you don't love your shave you'll get a full refund from harry's for a limited time only harry's has a special offer for listeners to this program new customers get five dollars off a trial set from harry's with the code tom thom at Harry's.com. that means you get a razor weighted handle foaming shave gel and travel cover all for just three bucks plus free shipping when you use the code tom at harry's join the millions who've already switched and get on over to Harry's.com today and use the code tom thom at checkout to claim your offer Our book today is The 31-Day Food Revolution, Heal Your Body, Feel Great, and Transform Your World, by Ocean Robbins, with a foreword by Joel Furman M.D. This is from the introduction. Let me call it like it is. We live in a toxic food culture. It's led us to epidemic rates of obesity, heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, and Alzheimer's. Things have gotten so bad that most people think it's normal to have at least a few extra pounds around the middle, to depend on an ever-growing supply of prescription medications, and to lose a little more memory and mobility with every passing year. This may be typical, but it sure as heck doesn't have to be normal. Eating food is mandatory, but suffering from brain fog, living with ever-declining health, and feeling like crap are not. The fact is that right now, hundreds of millions of people are hurting from diseases that never, ever needed to happen in the first place. Dangerous changes have been made to our food supply in just the last 25 years that impact how your food is grown and processed and how safe it is to eat. The status quo is driving small farmers out of business, forcing animals to live in deplorable conditions, and producing food that's making us sick. The medical industry and the processed food industry are earning trillions of dollars in a system that's devastating lives and threatening the very future of life on our planet. It's my mission to help put an end to this madness by sharing the truth about food and helping eaters put it into action. That's that's why I founded the 500,000-plus member Food Revolution Network, and it's why I wrote the book you now hold in your hands. In some ways, I might seem like a pretty unlikely food revolutionary. After all, in 1953, my grandfather, Irving Robbins, joined with his brother-in-law, Bert Baskin, to found the 31 Flavors ice cream company, Baskin Robbins. In case anyone on the planet missed the memo, we're now pretty clear that ice cream is not a health food. But back in the 1950s, as my grandpa was pumping out delicious flavors by the dozen, not much was known about the connection between food and health. Up until then, most people seemed content with three flavors, vanilla, chocolate, and strawberry. My grandfather was a consummate entrepreneur, and he set his heart on offering consumers many more options, 31 to be exact, one for each day of the month. My dad, John, grew up with an ice cream cone-shaped swimming pool. Sometimes, he even ate ice cream for breakfast. He was groomed from early childhood to one day run the family company. My dad's youthful innovations included Jamocha Almond Fudge, one of our company's most iconic flavors to this day, and the rollout to all the stores of the famous Pink Spoons that enabled customers to enjoy free samples. But in 1967, my grandpa's brother-in-law and business partner, Bert Baskin, became very ill. His doctors informed him he was dying of heart disease. I never knew my great-uncle Bert, because he passed on a short time later, six years before I was born. But I do know that he was one of the greatest entrepreneurs in American history. He had tremendous wealth, a business he enjoyed, and a family he loved. And he ate a lot of ice cream. And in the end, he lost his life and his health at the age of 54. Grandpa Irv was faced with a choice. He could sell the company for a large sum of money, or he could keep the company in the business and take on my dad, then about to turn 20, as a business partner. Grandpa Irv chose to invite his son aboard, but my dad declined his father's invitation walking away from Baskin-Robbins and from any access to or dependence on the family wealth. For him, it was a choice for integrity, and it's a choice I've always respected. My dad had seen ice cream bring smiles to a lot of people, but he also knew that unhealthy foods could fuel devastating consequences, and he didn't want to spend his life selling a product that might contribute to more people suffering and dying before their time. So he left a path that was practically paved with gold and ice cream to follow his own rocky road. My dad had suffered from polio as a child and grew up frequently fatigued and ill. In the 1960s, he fell in love with my mom in Berkeley and the two of them set out on a healthy living path. They stopped eating processed foods, they gave up ice cream and they based their diets on vegetables and whole natural foods. As my dad's health and energy returned, he and my mom moved to a remote little island off the coast of British Columbia, Canada where they built a one-room log cabin, grew most of their own food, practiced yoga and meditation for several hours a day, and named their kid Ocean. They say that that they almost named me Kale. I'm glad they took the more conservative route on this one. In any case, we did eat a lot of kale, along with cabbage, carrots, onions, broccoli, turnips, Swiss chard, and many other vegetables that my parents grew, plus brown rice, sprouts, buckwheat, and beans. For a treat, once in a blue moon, we'd have a few drops of organic blackstrap molasses. I think we went through about a bottle a year. Though my childhood diet was Spartan and my family lived on very little money, I grew up feeling rich in health. I became an accomplished distance runner, completing my first marathon at the age of 10. My dad went on to study the impact of food choices and to share what he was learning. His landmark bestsellers, including Diet for a New America, inspired millions of people and helped to galvanize the modern health food movement. The media was tickled by the notion of a would-be ice cream heir becoming a healthy eating spokesperson and called him the rebel without a cone and the prophet of non-profit. Tens of thousands of people wrote my dad letters, often by hand, sharing how his work had changed, sometimes even saved, their lives. One of the lives his work impacted his fate would have it was that of my own Grandpa Irv. Now, my Grandpa had been pretty mad when my dad walked away from the ice cream company. He and my dad went years without speaking. But then something remarkable happened in 1989 grandpa irv then in his early 70s was suffering from diabetes heart disease and weight problems he would always eaten the modern diet with a double scoop of ice cream on top his cardiologist told him he didn't have long to live unless he changed his diet and then the good doctor handed him a copy of my dad's book the book 31 day food revolution by ocean robbins dave in federal way washington hey dave what's on your mind today
2: Hey, not too much, Tom. I just wanted to agree with you. I think this is the start of of President Trump's campaign. But I just wanted to add to it a little bit. Much to my fear, I don't think we can really rely on Democrats because, I mean, I don't blame them. This has just become too political. I heard a couple of interviews with Kamala Harris. She would not commit to saying whether or not Donald Trump should be impeached. She said she has information from her intelligence committee stuff, and she won't comment on that. And then um, there was also a guy, Mark Kirkonen. He presents himself as an unbiased, non political immigration expert, and he says that Democrats are chasing their Captain Ahab against yeah. this wall. Anybody who and, claims, Dave,
3: know, that they are un- non political and non partisan. And don't, you know, uh, swim in political waters. And then they're an expert on one of these topics that's been highly politicized is either lying or is a Republican.
2: Oh, yeah, I think the guy's a total uh, crypto-Trumper, because, you know, he also said that the Democrat, that we, liberals, that we have some sort of anti-white triumphalism, he said. I could not believe that. I'm like, that's insane. But anywho, yeah, and and it's bad. And we were, unfortunately, I think we have to rely on Republicans, because this thing with Russia, they were laundering money, along with working in cooperation with Deutsche Bank uh, in 2013. And this guy they just caught, they're going to trade him for Paul Whelan, apparently. <laughs> now we're doing spy arrest, counter spy, counter espionage. And this guy was also from 2015 wanted on some sort of uh, espionage. And th- these things, you know, this is the Russian playbook. And I don't know, long story short, Tom, I don't know if, if you're a fan of the Godfather movies, but remember when Abe Bagoda, his character, was uh, uh, Mike's going to kill him? Because, you know, he betrayed the family. But Abe Bogota saw his grave sitting there. And he saw the guys with guns. He knew what was going to happen. And all he cared about was Michael's feelings, Michael Corleone's feelings. Well, remember what he said? He looked at him and said, Mikey, this is about business. I don't know. That just keeps replaying in my head. With Russia and China, it's getting dangerous. It's an extremely
3: dangerous time, Dave, and uh, on on a whole lot of fronts. I mean, it's not just in those two places. You've also got the danger of an eruption in the Middle East. You've got the danger, I think the biggest danger is, frankly, another 9-11 in the United States, a spectacular attack. A large scale attack by some terrorist group. And, you know, whether it's uh, Muslim terrorists or whether it's somebody else. I mean, this is, you know, I think, frankly, that Trump would welcome something like that. He would love to be George W. Bush. Dave, uh, thank you for the call. I'm, you know, yes, we need to impeach this guy now. And David Leonhardt has pointed out in the New York Times we don't need to wait. We've got plenty of evidence of impeachable crimes right this second. And all of them are a whole lot bigger than lying about a BJ in the White House. Welcome back. Tim in Harpersville, New York. Hey, Tim, what's up?
5: The cost of the immigrants that are coming into the country down in the south, they are costing us a lot of money.
3: You know, I don't believe that have- that's the case, Tim outside of the cost of $700 a day to imprison people. But that all goes to private corporations that kick money back to Republicans. But the reality is that undocumented immigrants in this country are paying billions of dollars a month into Social Security and federal and state taxes. Now, I agree that people who are here without documentation should not be working in this country. But when Ronald Reagan in 1986 said, I'm going to break the unions in the construction industry and in the meatpacking industry, by stopping the enforcement of the laws that would put wealthy white employers in jail if they hired people who are in the country without documentation. I'm going to break the back of these unions. He declared that and he did it. And those industries, those industries no longer are unionized industries because of that effort. And no president since then has gone back to saying, we need to start putting white wealthy employers in jail. Mitt Romney suggested this and they ridiculed him. He said, they, you know, people will self-deport if they can't work. It was true. By the way, prior to 1986, you had about a million people coming north every year and you had about a million people going south every year. They'd come here for the picking season because agriculture, ever since the late 40s, had been the one industry that was exempted from that employers go to jail rule. Reagan exempted all industries from that rule as part of his campaign to destroy the unions. And, you know, it's worked. But the the simple reality is you're not going to stop people if they're offered a job. I mean, you know, I don't know if this is still going on, but it was certainly going on seven or eight years ago. There were broadsheets, because I I saw them. There, there, There were newspapers like the shopping guide that you get at the local supermarket that are printed in Spanish that are distributed south of the border from companies in the northern Midwest. Construction sites, meatpacking plants, agri- big-ag operations, uh, in some cases, even fracking operations saying, "If you can make it to North Carolina or to North Dakota, if you can make it to Nebraska, if you can make it to wherever, here's a job for you. These are help wanted ads. People are gonna do anything to, to help their families. And not to mention, I mean, this is not even talking about the fact that most of these people who are coming into the country since 2009 are not looking for good jobs. They're actually trying to avoid being murdered in their home country because of US foreign policy. But the simple fact of the matter is that if we started prosecuting employers, you would shut down that entire business. Romney was right about this. Tim, thanks for the call. Alan in Seattle. Hey, Alan, what's up? <laughs> Hi, Tom. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, it's amazing yeah. to me how the Republicans create these crises and then they and then they yell and scream about them with absurdly expensive solutions that are going to kick money back to their contractor buddies. And then once they they even pretend to solve the problems that they created, they want credit for it. It just boggles my mind. Sorry, Alan. Yeah, back hello. to you.
2: Yeah.
0: You're talking about Trump and all the things he's doing, but he wouldn't get away with this if he didn't have his enablers in Congress, Mitch McConnell being one of the lead ones. Yep. In this whole manufactured crisis, Trump is going to go out and use uh, military money to build his wall. Right. That's an executive action. Well, if I remember correctly, DACA was an executive order from Obama because
3: Congress... Wouldn't that? would discuss immigration? Yeah, but it wasn't one that appropriated money. It used True, DACA. It used the existing immigration system, and simply changed you know specific criteria. So, Obama could do that by executive order. What you can't do by executive order is spend money. The Constitution is very clear about that. Spending money right. is the sole right. province of the House of Representatives, right, or but Congress the, more generally. But it has to always you know, originate in the House. Yeah, it certainly set
0: the Republicans' hair on fire because, oh, my God, he's overstepping his, you know, presidential authority. And yet this Congress, or the recent Republican Congress, didn't do anything.
3: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Alan, I want to get one more caller in here. I just have a minute left in the show. Cartel in Lancaster, Texas?
0: Good afternoon, Mr. Hartman. My name is Cartel Adams, and I'm a first-time caller. I just wanted to say that I'm very disappointed in our democracy, you know, when a person can lose practically about three million votes and still get elected. And, uh, you know, I don't think we have slavery anymore. You know, where 50 million people, one million people have the same voting power.
3: Yeah. No, Vicente yeah. Fox the other day, uh, uh, the former president of Mexico, referred to Donald Trump as the president of the electoral college, rather <laughs> than the president of the United States. Carl, and thank yeah. you for the call. It is spot on. It is not possible to have a functioning democracy, a functioning republic, if the people are not well-informed and engaged. right, we've got to do that. It doesn't work without that. And that means you can't just sit back and complain about it. You've got to get out there and get active. Tag, you're it. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman,